Well, good morning again. <clears throat> you know, I love that word, hallelujah, that we we're singing. It's, it's a word that is tough to define um, because it really just means praise be to God, glory. To, I mean, it's, it's the word you say when you don't know what else to say, but you just want to worship. Um, so I, I love that word. Turn to Romans <clears throat> chapter 7, if you would. So when I was uh, a kid, I, I came to know the Lord. I was probably five or six years old. I remember praying with mom by the fish tank, um, and I, I know it was real. I, I had a heart change. Um, I went to camp the next year and gave my life to Christ again because I got scared of hell. And then the year after that, I went to camp and gave my life to Christ again because I was scared of hell again. Maybe you have some of that. When I was 16, I went on a missions trip for the entire summer. That's when I, I would say I really fell in love with Jesus. I had a really unique experience in the word, in service, in relationships, and I just from then on, I knew I was going to be a missionary for God. Like, that's, that's what my life was going to be. And so, from then on, I've been sinless. <clears throat> you laugh <laughs> because you've been there. So, so genuine conversion, you know, genuine love for the Lord. Now, I was no theologian yet, but I understood Jesus died for me. I understood I deserved hell. I understood that Jesus went to the cross, died for real, like, that crown of thorns isn't just a story. Like, actually, that happened. And that he rose from the dead for real. All that stuff I got, and, and it was deep in me. So, a couple years later, doing life, temptation comes my way. And I don't know if you've ever had this type of experience. I wore a cross around my neck, and I had a, I had a temptation to sin. Right there, and I actually grabbed the cross, and I took it off, I looked at it, and I set it aside. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of temptation where you, before God, just go, I, you stay over here, I'm going to do what I want. And I started walking toward the sin, and God miraculously intervened. I, I mean, it's one of those neat things, God just did something, and, and boom, I, I didn't sin. I didn't go there, but I was going. And of course, I'm broken. I fall down crying. I call my youth pastor. He comes over. This is what he turns to. Romans chapter 7. Because in that moment, I was broken. I love the Lord. How could I seriously just set him aside? The God of the universe who created everything and then died for me, and, and I'm going to just walk in sin? Well, who do I think I am? I must not be saved. I'm, I, I was just overwhelmed. Have you been there? <laughs> Am I the only one that's been through something like that? And the church can take two different responses than with sin. The first is, let's just not talk about it, right? Um, you can call this liberal, progressive, whatever, and the only way to get there is to reject the authority of the Bible or to reinterpret it unfaithfully and go, sin is not sin. The Bible doesn't actually mean those things about sexual purity that it, you know, uh, sex isn't just one man, one woman within marriage. Uh, getting drunk. It doesn't actually mean that. That was cultural, whatever. So we can go and go, let's just not talk about sin. Sin isn't a thing. That is very unfaithful, and we know that in our, in our heart. Or we can go to the other extreme, and I've seen this, where no, a, a true, mature Jesus follower will never struggle with sin again. There is no battle. And, and I've had those people go, no, the Christian should not battle with sin anymore. And I go, what world are you living in? That's not the world I've experienced or I've been living in. And in those environments, the person that does struggle with sin does a couple things. Either they hide it or they go looking for that secret sauce that the other people have. 
whether it's a second blessing of the Holy Spirit, you know, baptism in the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, looking for something, and that is a tumultuous life. I've watched these people look for that secret thing. Oh, it's this, and they give, oh, oh, now I struggled with sin. No, I'm not saved. Oh, maybe it's this. Well, here in Romans 7, we're going to learn some truths about our struggle with sin. What is the truth? And then we'll get some answers starting next week. Romans 7. Now, we need to understand the context because the context is law. The Apostle Paul, we've already seen in the book, we're justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. And he's been talking a lot about the law, meaning the Mosaic law. Right, the, the demands that God has given on his people to show them what sin is. Now, we are not under the Mosaic law, but we do still have a moral law. In fact, you, you look at the Mosaic law, and there's several pieces of it. The moral law is repeated in the New Testament, but it's, it's different. I don't like the word law because we're not under a law anymore, but there are, are moral um, standards that God would have us live up to that he would desire for us to live up to. And so here in, in this context of law, Paul says the law actually makes sin more in my life. The law is good, but it makes me sin more. So let's get the context real quick. Look at Romans 7, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> it says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So there's, there's our context, okay? Law. And he's saying the law is good, but it only creates more sin. Now look at verse 13. He says, did that which is good, meaning the law, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now, as we go through this passage today and the, the ones coming up next chapters, there's some really deep stuff here. There's actually some pretty confrontational stuff in here. There's been debates for 2,000 years over what they actually mean. But here, this verse sets off the passage we're looking at. And what he's saying in verse 13 about the law, right? That which is good, did it bring death? No, sin did. So what, but the law is still good. So the purpose of the law or God's moral standard is to reveal that sin is a very big deal. So that's, that's his first point right here. The law gave me God's standard of living so that I could look at my own life and go, oh, sin's a big deal. Not so I could look at it and go, ah, oh, we can't live up to it. Oh, because we're under grace, we can sin all the more. That's last chapter. Um, no, so we can actually see sin and go, sin is a really big deal. That's what the law does. That's what the moral commands we see in Scripture do. They show us God is holy and perfect and just, and he wants us to walk in righteousness. <clears throat> so the, the idea of, you know what, let's just throw out sin, let's not talk about it, whatever, live however you want, that's not godliness. So right here, the first thing, God's moral standards reveal that sin is a very big deal. So what's the problem? The problem is not God's standard, but sin which dwells within every Jesus follower. That's the problem. 
And that's what we're going to draw out as we go through here. The problem is not the moral laws. Don't throw those out. But sin, which dwells within every Jesus follower. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So there it is. There's kind of the battle starting to be laid out. The moral standards God gives are good. When we look at the abundant life we want, it's living according to those moral standards that our life is better. And so they're good, and they're good for us. It's like a good parent, right, giving boundaries for their kids for their flourishing. But I, it says here, am of flesh. I am of flesh. That word flesh is a tough one. Well, it's not really. It, it has come across as tough because certain translations, the NIV and a couple others, translate flesh as sinful nature. So if you have one of those Bibles that, that you read that sinful nature, that's not a horrible translation, but it's a little bit confusing because flesh refers to our body, but not just our body, our whole self in Adam. Uh, David taught a couple weeks ago looking at us as, as Adam as our representative, that we are in Adam. But then when we're saved, we are in Christ, but we still live in this body of flesh, which includes our soul. It's not just our body, but it's where sin still dwells. So that word flesh isn't just sinful nature, right? Because the idea of sinful nature, maybe you've experienced this in the church, it means you have to sin, you have no choice, it's who you are. But it's not who we are. Instead, we are in Christ, it's different. So this flesh, though, is us still able to sin. In fact, it's the, the sin in us that still not only is able to sin, but, but wants to. I mean, honestly, when we sin, it's because we want to, right? It, we, we choose it. At the moment, that looks better to us. That's the sin that dwells in our flesh. Flesh refers to the corrupt nature of the whole person where sin still dwells. So then here's the battle, right? We're, we're saying, what's the deal with, with sin in our lives? The battle is between the flesh and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells every believer, that's where the battle is. So let's learn about this battle. Look at verse 15. Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, this passage, this passage is, is tough because some will read that and go, that is not the Christian life, right? Uh, I mean, over and over in Scripture, last chapter, it said, because grace, if sin makes grace increase, then let sin more, right? So grace increases all the more. And Paul answers that and says, no way. 
If we're dead to sin, how would we live in it? And then you get to this chapter, which looks like this battle raging. And so some will say this is a non-believer. This chapter is talking about a non-believer, specifically probably a Jewish non-believer who has the law and goes, ooh, I want to glorify God. I want to do that. But they don't have the ability to because they don't have the spirit. There's a big problem with that. In these verses, it says, I delight in the law of God. A non-believer does not delight in the law of God. It's, that's just not the way it works. This is clearly a believer. Most theologians through history have landed on, no, this, this has to be a believer. Because Paul is, is writing about himself. He's writing first person. Me, I, I experience this. Right? I go through this. So the, the, the place we land is this is a believer, but this is a believer operating in their own strength. This is a believer not walking in the spirit or abiding, but one walking in their own strength. This battle and struggle with sin is normal, but consistent failure is not the norm. It's not the norm. Why does Paul include this passage? I think there's a couple reasons. One, to encourage the believer struggling with sin, hey, the battle's normal, right? For people like me who go through that, that experience of temptation and, I, and I'm broken and somebody else can open up the word and go, hey, even Paul, even Paul went through what you're going through. This is normal. There's some relief in that. Like, okay, I'm normal. I'm not the weird one. I, I'm not unsaved, whatever. This is normal. And the second reason, I think, is Paul is trying to tell us what happens when we try and do it all in our own strength. Because the next chapter and the ones after that are going to move on to give us more of the answer of how we do live. But here, this is a believer. So what's the problem with Paul? I mean, for crying out loud, right? He's an apostle. Again, context of law. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee. It's interesting, all the disciples, you know, you read about the, the 12 disciples before Paul. Um, they were fishermen, right? They were workers, whatever. They were just kind of normal people. Paul is a Pharisee, meaning he, he's kind of like the upper echelon of, of the Jew. He had probably a lot of the Torah memorized. He knew the law, and he was devoted to it. So for him, as a Jew, especially a Jew of that caliber, for them, the answer to humans' problem was studying the law and obeying it. That was the answer. Right? So now he becomes a Christian, and he's writing this book of Romans, right? He's writing here that we're justified by faith, not by the law, but he has this temptation to go back to his old way of doing it in his own strength, in his own power. And so that's what we have here, somebody trying to obey, trying to glorify God in their own strength. That's the context here, and I'll be honest, that's been the context a lot in my own life. You know, I was raised in the church. I was raised with, with these laws, you know, with these moral standards, which I wanted to do, go do these things. And I would, I would wake up, you know, or before I would go to bed, actually, I would think, okay, I, I see lust in my life. I see pride. I see envy. I, I see all these things and I hate them, right? So tomorrow I'm going to work really hard that these aren't going to be. So I wake up and the harder I try, the quicker I would fall. I think that's what Paul's describing. This effort, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. You know, it's one of those things. Don't think about a pink elephant. What do you think about? A pink elephant, right? When my focus is on not sinning and being better, sin is just so ready to jump in and take control. So first, let's just be honest with the struggle. Let's just be honest. We have a struggle. Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, <clears throat> I agree with the law that it is good. Very, very simple. Why do we do the things we hate? Why do we lash out at the people we love the most? And afterward, we're like, why did I say that? <laughs> why did I hurt them with my words, even on purpose? Or, or go down, why did I go to that website again? Why did I go to the casino Again, if you have a gambling problem. I mean, all these things. Why do we do these? I'm so confused by it. But he says uh, in verse 16, I, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it's good. Here's kind of the point. If you're in the battle, that's good news. Being in the battle is evidence of salvation, right? When you sin and you hate it, that's good. That's good. The problem comes when we sin and we don't hate it. The problem is when we don't have the battle with sin, and I've met these people, oh, I'm a believer, okay, but you're living this way. Do you feel like that's a problem? No. No, I can do whatever I want, right? Ooh, that's where you should have a little bit of a problem when you don't battle, but you're walking in sin. So the struggle here is very, very real. Look at verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Feels like he's making an excuse, but he's not. For I know that nothing good <clears throat> dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Have you seen the movie Venom? It's kind of good. <laughs> It's this guy that, that has a, an alien parasite that, like, latches on. And so they battle within, the, you know, who's going to control the body. Venom wants to eat people's brains, um, and, and he thinks that's bad. So they, they have these dialogue in his head throughout the movie. Hey, that's a bad person. Let's eat them. No, we don't eat people, right? Let's just have chocolate. I mean, and then at one point, they actually get in a fight, you know, and they're fighting it. It's kind of, I felt like that, right? Or, or there's other movies and pictures of somebody who is, like, split, you know, and they're, you know, they're, one hand is going this way and they're fighting. That's what this feels like is this inner battle with ourself of, of I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it, right, in this big wrestle. <clears throat> and, but here's what we need to understand, that we are not uh, spiritual schizophrenics. <laughs> Here, here's what I mean. We, we don't have two different persons in us battling. This battle sometimes it's difficult because it's phrased a different way. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard this, the body is bad, but the spirit is good. By the way, that's not biblical. That's, that comes from, from Greek. Uh, that would be Plato, right? He, he talked about that. No, the body is bad, the spiritual is good. That comes from Eastern religions. That's why they do all the, the meditating and whatever to separate from the body because the body is bad. The biblical approach is actually God created the body and created it good, and for eternity, we're going to be in a body. And so, so the body isn't necessarily the problem originally, but sin moved in. And so we are a whole person, spirit, body, soul, and we have the flesh that wants to sin, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so there's the battle, not between two different selves, but between ourselves and the spirit who wants control. It is a very real battle that is going on in, in ourselves. And what is his point here? You know, why is he talking about this? I think his point is identity. 
His point here is identity, not to make an excuse for sin, right? Again, why does he include this whole passage? I think to encourage the believer that the battle is real, right? That the battle is normal, although losing the battle consistently isn't the norm. But that this is normal. Again, identity, verse 17. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Our identity is secure in Christ. My sin is not who I am, although sin can exert control. That's really important. In my own life, when I have the temptation to sin, one of the biggest things for me is, that's not who I am anymore. I can do that. And I'll be honest, there's a big piece of me that wants to. But that's not who I am. I want to glorify God. That's who I am. I am a Christian. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am a son of the King. I am going to be with him for eternity. That's who I am. There's still sin that can't exert this control. Paul here is saying, if you're in the battle and you struggle, good. Good, because you're saved and you belong to Christ. All of your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. All of it. When God looks at you, justified by faith means he sees you and he sees Jesus' righteousness. That's what the gospel is. Our identity is secure in Christ. So then this battle really is, again, the flesh. The flesh, the piece of us where sin still dwells and will until the end, right? You know, arguing, fighting for control. And this is not a cop-out. Okay, this is not an excuse. You may be hearing this and go, whew, good, I can just go on sinning. Not an excuse. 21. Talks more about this battle. It says, so I find it to be a law, and again, this is not a moral standard or or mosaic law. This is more of a principle. Uh, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What is this principle? The principle here is that I am locked in a battle against my flesh and will be until I receive a glorified body. This is not one of those warm and fuzzy sermons or passages. Those will come in future weeks. This is one of those. Let's just be real, right? that our temptation to sin will be here as long as we are in this body. Now, when we die, we go to be with the Lord, right? And in the end, when Jesus returns, we get a new body where sin does not dwell. Sin will not be part of that body. But in this body, we're going to have this battle. We don't have to consistently lose the battle, but it's real. So if you're hoping, maybe you're new to church or new to coming and you're like, maybe they'll have the secret, so I'll be tempted no longer. Nope. <laughs> we, we don't. The truth of this passage is that the temptations will always be there. Sin is always right. Evil is right there. When you want to do good, it's there going, hey, look my way. Look, hey, I got better stuff over here. We're going to have these temptations until we die. Get used to it. And there's good news. The good news is next week. But the good news is that there is possibility of victory. But there's not victory when we think the battle's not real or we're above it or we've arrived or whatever it is or we're looking for that secret thing. No, here our identity is real and it's in Christ. And the battle with sin is also real. There it is. Come back next week. Don't sin till then. (laughs) But here's how Paul responds to this. I love this. 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, listen to that cry. 
the wrestle with sin leads him to go, Rah! does that to you? I, honestly, I, you know, if I was totally honest, I would tell you about other times after that time where I did sin and I walked away like, eh, ugh. I would rather be like this or that first time when I was, you know, tempted and I almost gave it whatever. Oh, wretched man, and I torn up about it. Why? Because sin's a big deal. Jesus died for us so that we would be free from sin. When we walk in obedience, we glorify him. There is nothing better in this life. And so sin should be a big deal for us. When we wrestle with sin and we fail, this should be our response. Wretched man that I am. Ugh. But that is not what we preach in our churches today. No, you're good. Right? right? As long as you're good, better than most people, you're good. No. Look in the mirror and see the sin and be disgusted by it. Be disgusted by it. Paul is, but you don't stay there. He goes, who will, who will save me? Who can save me from this? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Again, we've got to be careful. This is not an excuse. This is not saying I'm stuck to sin all the time no matter what. What he's talking about is the reality. I want to do what's right. Wretched man that I am, who will save? Jesus. He already has saved us. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. All my sins landed on him, every single one. So he wins. So I win. So in the end, I will get a glorified body. Done. Because of what Jesus did. Done. But also, he can save me now. He can save me day in and day out, right? I mean, the, the title of our last two sermons, Grace is Stronger Than Sin, One to Save You. And then Grace is Stronger Than Sin to Help Us Walk in Victory. This passage is all about the believer attempting to please God on their own, in their own strength, in their own power. We know this because he's going to go on in the next chapter to say, now here's how we walk in the spirit. Here's how we do have victory. You know, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer person. If I can do something by myself, I will. And I can't tell you how many times I've started a project or whatever, and hours into it, I'm like, I need help. And I call somebody, and they're like, why didn't you ask at the beginning? That took us like two minutes, you know? That's kind of what this is, right? The wanting to glorify God in our own, we try so hard, and God's saying, this is, you're not designed to do this alone. You're designed to do this together. I will sanctify you. I will make you more like my son. We'll do this together. You can't do it on your own. You must abide in me, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why would we try and glorify God apart from God? It's silly, but we try it. Or as Paul will say the same thing over and over, walk in the spirit. Walk in close relationship. And there's a lot of ways that, that help that. Coming to church and worshiping is, is big. I, I think singing, you know, we're not all singers, right? But, but singing is part of, it's a big deal. Time in the word, on your own, it's a big deal. Prayer, it's a big deal. This is why we focus on just groups, not a lot of other stuff. Because we can help each other abide in Christ. It's when we separate ourselves from the body of Christ. So when we separate ourselves from the word and from worship that, that we start drifting more into the sin and we're more okay with it. Abiding is coming together and leaning in to Christ. Let's end with the hope that I think Paul wants us to get from these verses. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wish 
chapter 8, the big 8 wasn't there. <laughs> I wish it was down one more verse because that's the conclusion to what he just said. You struggle with sin, you're not condemned. Jesus was already condemned for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the hope we end with. John would say it this way in 1 John 2.1. He says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Our goal is to not sin. But if we sin, we're not condemned. Christ is for us. Who could be against us? Sin is ever present in these bodies and will be till the end. The battle is real. It's normal. But losing the battle is not the norm. Okay, I don't want you to walk away going, I'm stuck in, to lose the battle. No, the battle is normal. But the abundant life is possible. Come back next week. We'll learn about that. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for having Paul include this passage to give us encouragement that when we struggle with sin, um, we're not separated from you. God, that, that the battle with sin is not evidence that we don't belong to you, but rather the battle with sin is evidence that we do belong to you. And so God, if there's anybody in the room today that, that needs encouragement, that they belong to you, I pray that they would examine their heart and go, have I surrendered to Jesus as Lord? Do I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and you would give them the confidence that they belong to you? And God, I do pray that you would stir in us the same sentiment that Paul cries out of the hate for sin in our lives. God, let us love what you love and hate what you hate. Let us hate the sin in our own lives and let that draw us to lean into you that we can learn how to abide, we can learn how to walk in the spirit and experience the life you would have for us that glorifies you and is best for us. God, thank you for these verses. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go to worship, let me encourage you to respond how you need to respond. Go to one of our prayer walls, write a prayer to God. Uh, stay seated, pray, confess. Stand up and worship with your arms up, whatever you want to do. Um, and I'm going to be in the back right. If you want to talk to me or, or pray with me for whatever reason, come see me.